Friends, we're going to get started in exactly two minutes, picking up from last week. If you don't have a Bible, you will need it. In fact, if you want to get ahead, if you want to get ahead, you need to find Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, starting at 19. We'll get to Matthew chapter 6 here in just a little bit, but if you want to be ahead, you'll just want to have that ready. For those of you who like to live on the edge, you can wait and look it up later. That's okay. Okay. Matthew chapter 19. We'll start in about a minute and a half, all right? Minute and a half. All right, friends, let's get started. It is, uh, it's really good to be back in this room with you. I've had the incredible privilege of spending time with middle schoolers, so, you know, the same as this room, basically. Uh, not, not far uh, that different, really, uh, but so good to be back, and I trust uh, that you've continued to walk well through this uh, incredible, really incredible text, an incredible study, an opportunity to get ourselves postured around the words and the ways of Jesus as we try to think about our own hurry and our own busyness and how that hurry and that busyness affects the shaping of our Christ-likeness. Uh, so what I'd love to do uh, today is I'd love to just start by praying And after that, uh, I'd love to just pause for maybe five minutes and and just ask, like, thus far, what what have you taken away? Like, what are you hanging on to? Like, what's one little nugget that you're just sort of sort of sitting kind of in your pocket still? I want to hear a few of those things before we dive into the to the rest of simplicity. All right, let's pray first. Uh, Good and gracious Father, thank you so very much that you draw us here again today to once again come around your word and to be shaped by it as it helps us discover what is, but also what could be, and by the transformative work of your spirit, what will be. Father, this has been an opportunity to walk slowly and to understand the practices of Jesus and to allow those practices and those habits to shape our own. Not because those practices or habits earn us anything. Not because they help us sit closer to Jesus at the end of time. But that these habits and these practices actually help lead us to life and life to the full. And so to that end, good Father, we pray that you would continue to pour out your Spirit as we lean in again to this practice of simplicity, we pray in the powerful and the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right, I said I want to pick up kind of what you're hanging on to, uh, sort of the nuggets of the journey thus far. And let's do this just to get your minds rolling. Maybe, maybe a minute and a half at your table. Just what are you hanging on to from the last several weeks that we have been together since we've started this study? What, what are the, what's, the, what's the truth you want to hold on to? What are the practices you want to hold on to? Let's just share that around the table for about a minute and a half, and then we'll share it in the big room. All right? Go. All right, let's come on back to the big room. I would love to hear, I would love to hear some of what 
uh, you're just holding on to, some of the, the nuggets to hold on to, some of the truth you're holding on to, some of the practices you're holding on to. What, what struck you since we've started thus far? What's one thing you're holding on to, Jim? Take time for the Lord. Take time. <laughs> yes, take time for the Lord. Good. What else? What's stuck with you so far? Yeah, Laura. Ah, good. So, word before world. That's hard to say. Word before world. Kind of makes my cheeks pucker. Word, <laughs> word before world. Yeah, so what, what a great phrase, right? The word before the world. Just spending time, right? That bit of perhaps slowing, right? A bit of rest, Sabbath, silence, solitude. Yeah, what else? It's great. Yeah. And prior to that, I had to admit it felt like an obligation. Yeah. And like, all right, I can't do anything on this day because this is me honoring God, and instead it was God honoring me, and that was a huge shift for me. Yeah, isn't that a beautiful thing, right? When we when we understand the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, right? I mean, Jesus reminds us of that certainly, and that it is it is um. It's something God gives to us as a gift, a way in which we can delight, right? As his children, we can delight in the gifts that are around us. Uh, we can just delight. Uh, it, I remember Comer in his chapter talks about, right, this idea of pleasure stacking. Right, so what are those things, you know, what are all the things that if you got to just do for 24 hours would give you throbbing joy, right? And to to actually see those as a part of what engaging in the sabbath is right so that you can be filled up with those kinds of good things yeah it's what it's a it's a beautiful thing right rather than obligation it's good what else what else is sticking with you it's good so two, so two things that i heard from karen one is um, sort of <clears throat> wrestling with this, uh, with this truth that there was a distinct shift in our culture when we move from needs-based to desire-based, right? That we have to make people actually kind of wrestle with and go after their desires rather than simply the things that we need. And that there was a real shift, right, after World War II where that was taking place, which leads itself... Is anybody in advertising here? Okay, good. So, <clears throat> um, but, but what it does do, and hear me, right? I have friends who are in advertising and marketing, right? But, but it, it does give us an eye to think about advertising as propaganda. Right? Now, that's, that's a dangerous word, potentially, but, but if we're just honest, right? It's, it's stirring desires in us. And not pointing to needs. Yeah, we'll talk about it. And the second thing, of course, was just sort of Comer at the very beginning of his text is talking about the goal is to, the goal of sort of ruthless elimination of hurry is to be present and available, right? To be present and available to God and to be present and available to other people, right? That's, that's, that's really the premise from the very beginning, presence and availability, both to God and people, right? So that we can experience love. Uh, and what I hear you talking about is just sort of this 
trying to think about all my commitments, things around my house, uh, so that I can be present and available, right, when those kind of things pop up. Yeah. Dominic? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So two things, Dominic. I think they're I think they're really great observations, right? The f- the first one he's talking about is just stage of life, right? And how do, how do these practices play out, right? How are they manifested uh, in your stage of life? Right? They're going to look different depending on where you are, you know. So whether I have young kids, which is what Comer has, he has young kids, by the way, right? Um, so when he wrote this, they were young. I don't know what they are now, but so young kids uh, versus high school kids who you're still driving around, right? Um, versus empty nested, right? Versus retired, like all the, all those stages. Um, again, all those stages they bring a different kind of infleshing of the practices, right? And the practices I don't believe are supposed to be black and white. Like we're supposed to just do exactly what Comer's doing in his own household, right? Not possible in my house to do what he's doing, right? But the principles, right, the, the practices, as they get kind of enfleshed in those things, I think really matters, right? And it's okay that they're different. It's always funny when you talk about retired, uh, because I, I've had so many conversations with retired people who will say to me, you know, Pastor, um, I'm more busy now than I ever was when I worked. Now, they're doing things they probably want to do, rather than the things they're being told to do, and yet... And yet, it still says something to me, right, that I'm filling it up in some unique ways, that I'm more busy than ever. <laughs> okay, we should ask that question. And then secondly, right, when your, your point is well taken, that, you know, when, when, the, when the shift moved from needs to wants, it created uh, jobs and opportunities for people, right? potential work for people, right? things that actually were good, uh, which they're, they're not bad inherently, right? I, th- I think in some ways, we, we introduce lots of things into culture, Right? The culture introduces lots of things which, at their beginnings, uh, weren't inherently bad. Right? They're, they're begun with good intention. But you and I know well that the world is broken. And so things that are begun even with good intention will ultimately lead to places that can be unhealthy. Right? So I agree. Like So many of it is a good thing, and yet sin will take over. Right? And then we have to sort of say, well, now what? What do we do? Right? For as much as I harp on social media, I don't think social media was begun with evil intent. I think it was begun actually to connect people. Right? Now, what it is today, I think is a result of sin gone amok. Right? But that, that's what happens to any, any idea that gets inserted. Well, thank you very much. I think we want to keep having this conversation. What are we holding on to? Right? I, don't, I, I really don't want the time that we're spending trying to unpack this text to just be something that we think back and you know, six months from now and say, well, that was fun. But actually holding on to uh, those principles or truths and trying to apply them in a way in our particular situation of life at present Right, that actually move us towards life and life to the full. So I want to pick up back where we were in terms of simplicity. You began simplicity with Jay last week. Uh, and some have said to me, like, man, this chapter makes me want to, like, uh, declutter everything that I have. Right? I'm trying to simplify my life. I want to declutter my email. I want to declutter my garage. I want to declutter my closet. 
yes, you can Maria Kondo all you want. Like you have, have fun with that. I want to come back uh, to the bottom of your first page, right? To the bottom of your first page, uh, where, where we're asking really, do you think of your habits, you know, do you think of your habits as consumeristic or even greedy, right? Why or why not? Do you think of your habits as consumeristic or greedy? Why or why not? It is interesting, uh, we'll talk a little, if you were at early service, you know we're talking about uh, stewardships, so we're talking about money and what it does to the heart of people. Uh, if you're coming to late service, you're welcome. We're talking about money and what it does to the hearts of people. And in it, we're going to say, you know, the, the, there is a, there's a certain kind of greedy consumerism that simmers beneath the surface of the American Christian church. It just kind of simmers underneath. And that those greedy consumeristic habits and language, they seep themselves into the church really easily. Uh, here's, here's some of what Pastor Adam and I would hear from people, all right? Uh, if this is you, I sort of apologize. Uh, but the number of times people have said to us when we meet them for the first time is like, hey, we're doing a little church what? Shopping. Isn't that interesting language? Right? I, I mean, I get what they're saying, right? They're trying churches out. But do, do, do you hear, I'm going church shopping, which says to me, I'm going to go find the best product, right? The product that best suits my, probably not needs, probably desires, right? So I'm going to find the best church that suits my desires, and that's where I'll go, right? So we're doing a little church shopping, right? Uh, people will say to Pastor Adam and I, well, this, this doesn't have, um, it doesn't really have, Holy Cross doesn't really have what we're looking for. Uh, to which I kind of want to reply like, do you mean Jesus? <laughs> so we got him, right? Like, again, it, it's just, it's just, it's just simmering under the surface, right? That, that sort of greedy consumerism that we live with, certainly that I live with too, right? It just is sort of sitting underneath the surface. Right? So we, we, have, we have church people, particularly, I think, in American Christianity, who are saying kind of constantly, what do I get? Not what do I give? Right? The, the, the default for a lot of American Christians is what do I get? Not what do I give? Interestingly, quite different in developing nations. Because the church doesn't function in developing nations unless people give. So there is, again, I'm just making a case that it's just sort of sitting underneath, right? It's just sitting underneath kind of the surface. And some of what Comer talks about in the video that you watched, right, is that there, there, are, there are things, there are habits, there are practices that we can engage in that will help counter or sort of bend the wood in the other direction, right? That thing that is kind of attacking our hearts. One of them is simplicity, and the second one is generosity. Those are the two that he talks about. And so I want you to think for just a moment. There's, a, there's this beautiful text in Acts 20, uh, Acts 20 verse 35, 
where Paul, in this case, he quotes Jesus saying that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And if you remember uh, in the video, Comer talks about that the word, the Greek word for blessed, makarios, uh, it means happy, like you could translate it happy. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give you my opinion. I don't think that's a great translation. Uh, I, th- I think a better translation would be joyful. Now, here's why I'm going to make that distinction. I, th- I think happy, uh, in certain contexts, happy could probably be an okay translation. But, but happiness, at least I think in American, uh, kind of in American culture, happiness is fleeting, right? My happiness only sticks around if I have the things I need or want, right, or desire. A joy, kind of real deep-seated joy, that can exist even when I don't have the things that I desire, so in, a, in, a, in kind of the American culture, I think happy, happy is a little too closely tied. For me personally, it's a little too closely tied with having what I desire. And joy, I can have even if I don't have the things that I desire. So he's basically saying, listen, you can have joy, right? It's, it's more joyful, St. Paul is saying when he quotes Jesus in Acts 20, it's more joyful to give than to receive, right? It's more joyful to give rather than get. So I just want you to table, talk briefly, like what's your experience of giving to somebody in need? And what was the emotional experience when you did? What's it like to give to somebody who's in need? And what's the emotional experience when you did? All right, just a couple of minutes at your table, then we'll come back, go. All right. Here's what I want you to do. You've been, you've been talking about just, just what's the experience of giving to somebody in need, right? What's the emotional experience that you have? Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to compare that. I, wa- I want you to think about the thing that you bought that you really wanted. Right? Like you, you bought the thing that you really wanted. I can tell you what it is for me. Right? It was a sunburst orange American-made Fender Stratocaster. Electric guitar. You're welcome. It is gorgeous. I mean, it is, it is a beautiful piece. It is a beautiful, beautiful musical instrument. And I wanted it. Do I need a sunburst orange American-made Fender Stratocaster? Nope. <laughs> Did I buy it? Yep. You know where it is now? It's sitting in a case in my office. Has anybody here seen it in four years? Nope. I want you to think about that purchase, right? Not my Stratocaster. I can bring it out if you want to see it. But I want you to think about the purchase, right? That purchase that you made that you really wanted. I want you to think about just briefly, like, what was the emotional experience? And then I want you to compare the experience you had of giving to someone in need, and the experience of just getting what you want. All right? So I'm going to take three, four minutes at your table and just compare those for a second. All right? Go. All right. So let's, let's, just, let's just talk about that experience uh, of uh, either giving, giving to people who are in need and uh, purchasing the thing you want. So... 
So, so here's the, here's the, I mean, here's the crazy thing. I, obviously I play guitar, so that's, that's not shocking. But, but when, when I compare, right, simply going out and buying this particular guitar because I wanted it. And I remember, I remember, uh, when I did buy it thinking like, oh, it feels so good, right? And playing it. I remember playing it and playing it a lot, actually. I remember doing that. But I don't know if you know this. <clears throat> once you buy one musical instrument, you're going to buy more. And with electric guitars, they have these things called pedals for all the different sound effects you can make. Just all over the floor. So what began as one purchase and the happiness that I felt in those first, say, three or four months turned into, you know what I need next? A wah pedal. You know, I need that 1970s. I was like, yes, I need that. So for me... For me, there is a difference between that happiness that is fleeting when I simply buy something that I want and the joy that comes from seeing somebody receive from a gift that I can give. It's a big difference, actually, for me. But a happiness that is fleeting or a joy, a joy that actually sticks around. Right, knowing that needs are met. What are your thoughts when you compare those two things together? What's happening? Nancy? With the buying, is there any guilt involved in that? Oh, there was no guilt buying this bad boy. <laughs> no. Now, I say there was no guilt. Let me back up. <laughs> I didn't have any guilt buying it. And then when I came home and I told Aaron that I bought this thing and I could see her face. There may have been a small piece of guilt that sort of started to stir up there. And the question is why? What's the guilt from? Because I'm stroking desire, perhaps? What else when you compare these two things together? Lloyd? We brought up that guilt too. When you give somebody something, there's this feeling that they have to remunerate in time. Oof. And there's also this feeling that we discussed that sometimes you give and you get nothing in return. Yeah. And you just feel like you've been taken advantage of. Yeah. But then I brought up, I'm glad Jesus was throwing the towel after he gave him so many times. Yeah. So maybe that's the life example that we've got to understand that you've got to give. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, what, what I love. Lloyd just talking about um, you know when you when you give, there's some kind of expectation maybe that lives again under the surface. I've got to remunerate and sort of equal and like kind, you know. And this 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 kind of thinking, interestingly, uh, is explored even in our kind of cultural arts if you pay attention to it. So there's a there's a wonderful uh, there's a wonderful episode of Friends right now. I, I'm not saying go watch all ten years of that. That's I mean unless you really want to, but there or do it. That's right. Go out and buy it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, there's a wonderful episode of Friends in which Phoebe, one of the characters, for 30 minutes is wrestling with this thought: Is there truly a selfless gift? 
right? Is there truly a selfless gift? Can, can I actually give something that is completely selfless? Right? Or is it selfish, right? Do I want the feeling that it produces? It's a really fascinating 30 minutes. A covered over, right, in comedy. I think she failed at finding it, too. What do you mean? Yeah. To feel yeah. And that's not also true. Yeah. It is a it is a really interesting. Uh, the 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 episode really tries to wrestle with this question, right? Even as we're wrestling it today. So if you're if you're paying attention, you'll see these kinds of questions pop up even in popular culture. It's a great episode of The Big Bang Theory in the same kind of question. They're trying to deal with uh, remuneration and like kind. I have to give the same kind of quality of gift that somebody gave to me. But do I, right? It's a really, really sort of fascinating conversation. But Paul, right, Paul quoting Jesus is saying, listen, it, it actually is more joyful to give than to receive. It's actually more joyful, more joy-producing to give than to get. And this really sits kind of at the heart of a practice of simplicity, right? A practice of simplicity. Why do you think it's difficult? Let's, let's just put some ideas out here. Why do we think it's difficult for Americans, right? For an American culture to accept a simple lifestyle? Why do you think it's so difficult? Hmm? Mike? Right? So, as um, Mike was saying, you, you, you can't have mass production, right, without mass consumption. Yeah, there is this interesting sort of circle that we find ourselves in. Right? Yeah. Tammy? It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Comment. Just a bit. Yep. Yeah, so we have this, we, we're sort of living in this weird place of, of kind of minimalism or simplicity, right? And we probably live in a culture of maximalism. I may have made up that word, right? Maximalism, right? Uh, I think Comer, I don't know if it's in the book or in the video where he talks about the average American has 300,000 items in their home. Yeah, I'm all dead. We're still counting. <laughs> Excellent! I love it. 
True. It's a good deal when you get all those things for one price. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is a really interesting thing to begin to just think through, right? All of the items that are in your home. Uh, again, similar to the Stratocaster, right? Like when I go down into the basement, I think about all the things that are still in boxes from our move from Detroit. We, we clearly don't need them. But they're still sitting in the basement. I mean, that, that's, that's the kind of thing. We have, we have so much stuff, right, that it's sitting in there. Some of us can't park our cars in our garages, right, or we buy out storage units so that we can take all the things uh, that we own. Uh, here's how Comer defines... He defines simplicity, and I think this is helpful, and it may be worth, it may be worth writing down. He, he describes simplicity as the limiting, right? It's the limiting of the number of our possessions. Yep, it's the limiting, limiting, it's the limiting of the number of our possessions, Limiting the number of our expenses, activities, Karen, to your point, and he would say your social obligations so that you can live free and joyfully, so that you can be present and available to others. So simplicity, right? It's, it's the purposeful limiting of our possessions, our expenses, our activities, our social ab- obligations, so that, right, so that we can live freely and joyfully, being present and available to others. So here's, here's what I want you to just to think through for a second on your own, right? Just as, just as individuals. And I just want you to jot a few ideas down, right? In what ways could limiting your intake give you freedom? In what ways could limiting your intake actually give you freedom? I just want you to think as an individual for a second and just jot it down. What In what ways, if I limit these things, would I experience freedom? And secondly, and secondly, what could it look like What could it look like to limit what you typically purchase in a month? What could it look like to limit, to purposefully limit what you would typically purchase in a month? What would that look like? Again, just, just jot a few ideas down, right? Just jot a few ideas down. If you have those, I want to come to Matthew chapter 6 together. Matthew chapter 6 together. Remember, Comer, Comer is saying, 
Comer is saying is that the remedy, the remedy for this kind of insatiable desire for more, the remedy is two-pronged, right? The first one is simplicity. It's purposeful limiting. And the second one is generosity, right? Those are the two prongs, the kind of the remedy for this insatiable desire for more. The first one is a purposeful limiting, and the second one is generosity. And I want to look at Matthew, Matthew chapter 6 briefly, starting at verse 19. Fairly well-known text. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And, of course, the Sermon on the Mount, just, just for a little bit of context, but the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus, I think, giving, giving sort of a, a greater expression of the laws that are already inherent in the Old Testament. Much of what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount is to help us understand the laws with greater clarity of the Old Testament. And when he's not doing that, when he's not doing that, he is, I think, in many ways speaking to some of the things that are culturally inherent at the time. So here we're going to talk about treasures on earth. He's not necessarily kind of fleshing out the laws of the Old Testament, but what he is doing is he's speaking to a cultural reality that says, uh, if I have more, it is a sign of God's blessing. And if I have little, I'm not blessed by God. Right? My material possessions are the sign to the world that I'm blessed over and against those who don't have. Now, let me just bring clarity, because uh, he, he's not going to say, Jesus is going to say, listen, uh, it's, it's okay that you have material things. Right? Jesus isn't saying, get rid of all your material things. He's, it's, it's okay to have material things. But what he's speaking to culturally is this idea that if I don't have those same things, then I don't have blessing from God. So he's trying to unpack something that's happening kind of culturally for him, right? And this kind of understanding, particularly in the Jewish tradition. But it still says something to us today. Remember, when we come into a text, it's going to tell us what is. It's going to shape a little bit of what could be. So let's look at verse 19. Here's Jesus. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. I'll pause here for just a second. Like, I should probably just write into my Bible, American-made Stratocaster. <laughs> no, truthfully. Like, if I actually had to make a list of what he was talking about, that'd be on it. What would be on yours? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy Verse 20, but, he says, rather, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I mean, we, we all know, <clears throat> we all know that our possessions, uh, we don't get to take with us. 
The reality is this American-made Stratocaster is going to end up in a landfill somewhere probably. I don't get to take it anywhere. So I can spend all of my life trying to store up treasures like this one. Or, I think Jesus is saying, rather it's better for you if you want to experience life and life to the full to store up treasures in heaven. To be focused on what it means, I think Comer would say, to be present and available. So that you can love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and you can love your neighbor as you love yourself. And when you store up treasures on earth, it gets in the way of loving God and loving neighbor to that extent. Yeah, Heather. Yeah, so Heather's got a good question. Heather says, well, what, what would happen if I took this particular treasure? I love you. If I took this particular treasure uh, and it got turned around for the sake of the kingdom, let's say, right? Or to teach other people how to play it, which it could do. I don't have time, but it could, right? Again, I, I don't think Jesus is saying um, that your possessions are bad, Right? He's not saying just owning this is inherently bad. What he is saying is that the love of it is bad. Right? Where my heart goes, uh, it's really easy to love the things that I possess more than the one who possesses me. It's really easy for my heart to be there. So do I think I could turn this around, right? Could God do it in a way that turns this around and I use it for the sake of the kingdom? Sure, absolutely. Right? And there's plenty of people who do that. But I would be a fool not to check my own heart. To constantly be asking that question, right? Am I loving this and the things that I possess more than the one who possesses me? So it's not, it is not, and we should hear this clearly, right? It's not just the possessions are bad, but it's how those possessions probably very subtly steal the love that's designed for God and God alone. We find ourselves loving those things more than Him. There's always danger there. It's back to Dominic's point, not inherently bad. But sin does some really, you know, nasty things. Take it up. <laughs> Pam, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to do some praying and some discernment on that, I think. <laughs> I feel like we should pray now. This is... Um... <laughs> no, it is... It is... I, I know, and I'm so thankful for that. Uh, but, but it does, Pam, exactly to your point, right? It, it does. If, if that bothers me, I should ask some questions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So the, this is the real press. Right. It's the, it's the real press, church. Like, again, this, there, there is, uh, because of sin, there is an insatiable desire for more. And we, we, have to, we have to wrestle with that. And one of the ways, of course, is a practice of simplicity by limiting what it is we purchase. And that's not easy. And so, I, again, I think Comer has, from the very beginning, said, how can you just begin to step into it? Right? Just start where you are. Right? Just start where you are. You, you may not need the second cup from Big B. Like, it's okay. Right? Even if you want it. So just start where you are. It's not only limiting, it's not only simplicity, but it is also generosity, right? It, it is this kind of open-handedness, this willingness to give away, right, which is really not mine to begin with. So whether that's possessions or skills or talents or finances, all of those things to be stewarded away, right, in generosity. Well, friends, I, I hope... I hope there is a place for us to just begin to step into it. Now, some of you want to like, you know, rage declutter, and that's, that's fine. Like, you, you, you do that, right? But for some of us, it really is going to be small steps, and that's good, right? Any step is a step, right? And here's the thing. I think we, I think we, we, we should hear it. I probably need to hear it more than other people in the room, but you know, when we take steps into these practices, and it doesn't turn out like we think it should, right? we take steps in these practices and it, it doesn't kind of yield the result that we expected, can we agree not to feel like failures? Right? You didn't have to try, but you did. Right. Can we agree that we're not going to feel like failures if we, if we attempt some of these practices and it doesn't go like it's in our head? You know, my, my wife is fond of saying, I give her all the credit for this, you know, she, she's fond of saying, like, in the things of the kingdom and in the practices of Jesus, uh, there, there's never failure. There's only compost. Uh, there's only compost. What does she mean? Well, we, we could do... Couple, some of the things we could, we could take what we experienced or our lack of expectations and we could dump it in the rubbish pile or or like compost it becomes the nutrients for what grows next so can we just agree that when we step into the practices and they don't go like we think it should or it's different than what our mind said maybe we think of those experiences more like compost right? the nutrients they're going to feed the next thing. Let's just start where we are. Just start where we are. Begin to step into these things. All right, I'm well past uh, time. Some of you need to get home. Some of us need to get to worship again. Be weird if the preacher's not there. So let me, let me, um, let me pray for us. Good and gracious Father, I'm so thankful for the women and the men in this room and for the opportunity that we share together to try to unpack the words and the ways of Jesus. And in so many ways, Lord, we're, we're, just, we're just scratching the surface. We're just beginning to get our heads and our hearts around these practices and ideas. So, Father, I pray for the, for the sisters and brothers in this room. 
and for the steps that they've been taking, whether that's in solitude and silence or in Sabbath or now in simplicity. Lord, I pray that, that they would see your good pleasure in just simple steps, small things. Of course, we, we, we want to experience life and life to the full. We want to experience the human flourishing that you've designed us to have. So to that end, I continue to pray for the outpouring of your spirit, for the blessing on this community as we step in faith. Father, bless the rest of this day and all that's in front of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.